Today on the Lone Wolf McQuaid Sports Podcast, my co-host Love Hooks and I welcome on a guest who's a good friend of mine. She's a nurse. It was my former manager at JG Mellon in Greenwich Village. She's a very strong advocate for mental health and sobriety. Today we talk about the recent Supreme Court ruling that protects LGBTQ workers in the United States. She gives her firsthand experience of what it's like working up in Harlem as a nurse during the COVID-19 virus outbreak. We talk sexism, sex in general, fingers in the booty, milk in the prostate, all that good juicy stuff. She wants to open up her own store selling sex toys. Please welcome Christina Milo. good what's good <laughs> hi christina i miss those faces oh my god maybe How this has been you? a long time coming and we're gonna cover a lot of stuff fuck yeah dude <laughs> fuck yeah yo it's good to see you you look good thank you thank yeah, you look amazing yo the last time i saw you you stopped by jg mellon and i was like fucking like off running off like three hours of sleep and i was like christina <laughs> <laughs> That's actually how I feel today. My guy ended up spending the night last night and he wakes up at like 5.30 for work. So I'm like functioning on three and a half. So I'm really happy that you said something about spirituality because I feel like that's one thing that we disconnect on because I'm so spiritual. And to me, my spirituality is like, a it's just, it's who I am. It's a huge part of who I am. And it's something I can't disconnect from. And uh, if you don't align with someone spiritually, it's like, it just, it, it can't work. It doesn't yeah. work. And uh, Taylor and I were talking about all of the things we want to talk about with you. And spirituality is like top on the list for me. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. And, yeah, I'm sorry. Okay. Go on. No, no, no. That's exactly the relationship I'm in. You know, he he's not spiritual whatsoever. And like the little joke is, you know, I'll, I'm just going to come along for that hippy dippy ride, you know, because anybody who's spiritual is a hippie, yeah. and, you know, but um, it's beautiful to see that. The only way you can pass it on is just be your true authentic self. If that's who you are, that's who you are. If people are going to align with that, they'll level up. Not that it's bad. Like people are at where they're at, you know? People move at different bases. I think that I've sort of like aligned a lot of, you know, what she's coming in. But like there are some parts I'm not ready to make that leap yet. She goes like ham with this shit. (laughs) And like I'm like fucking taking my steps and I'm totally different person than I was a year ago when we did a podcast on mental health and wellness. But yeah. like, it's like, she's fucking up here and I'm like coming doing this, you know? But um, it's appreciation of the process though. Like yeah. everybody moves at their own pace and we recognize that. So yeah, dude, I think the reason that like I originally wanted to reach, I've been trying to get you on this show for yeah. a long time. And <laughs> I'm really glad that we're finally starting to, we're finally able to like sit down and talk about some of this stuff because I feel like you and me met about four years ago. You were my manager, JG Mellon. And I was actually coming off a really bad weekend where I had gone out. I was not, I, I, I was in a really bad space mentally. I went out and got so fucked up. And then I decided right before I met you that I was going to take that first summer off from any drugs and alcohol. I was going to be sober. And it's like, you kind of just popped up. And I, and I was like, I met you at a very interesting time. Yeah. And as I've gotten to know you a little bit, um, you are someone who is, you know, a, 
I'll let you kind of just, maybe I should let you describe. So do you want to give a little intro about, you know, who you are and sort of your history with mental health and wellness and sort of your spirituality or, or, you know, I'll let you do that. Okay, absolutely. Yeah. So, and you know, Taylor, I'm very open. And um, um, I think it's really important because like I said, the only way you can pass it along is to keep people informed because there is such a stigma still on mental health and addiction and whatnot. And as you know, that's something that I had struggled with. You know, I I started drinking and using at 13 and uh, I finally got sober at 31. And when I went into AA, God willing, um, next month will be eight years. Um, Yay. Congrats. Congrats. Thank you. And uh, a big thing when you come into the rooms, I mean, I was so desperate and broken. I was just this shell of a person just existing through life. Like I remember waking up because it was heroin that brought me down. And I remember waking up every morning, my eyes wouldn't be open yet. And I'd be like, like, God, again, like again, you know, wanting to die, but not having the balls to do it. You know what Mm. I'm saying? So I got to that point where I remember, like, it was clear as I was waiting for a dealer. He was super late. They always say 20 minutes. It was like two hours. I was sick. And I had tried everything, cold turkey, just everything. And uh, I remember that moment of God help me. And I just like felt it. I felt it in that moment. But I need to backlog on that because I wanted nothing to do with God. You know, whenever I had heard spirituality, I automatically taught it to religion. And I was brought up very strict Roman Catholic. I went to Catholic school my whole life. And the basis of God that I was raised on, like I'll give an example. I was in fifth grade and uh, instead of having lunch with my classmates every day, I would go into the church and go to confession every day. Like it was like, I felt like I was this horrible person that I was always being judged, uh, always going to go to hell, just a bad person. And um, I couldn't connect with that. You know, I, I suffered a lot of trauma when I was younger, sexual, physical, mental, and I just wasn't built with a toolbox to cope with that stuff. So drugs and alcohol saved my life for a long time until it tried to kill me. But then I found this way. And when I walked into the rooms of AA, they emphasized, um, you know, what you need for recovery is a spiritual awakening. And I, when I tell you, I struggled with that because I wanted nothing to do with that. So it really has changed over time. At first, I just had to believe that my sponsor believed enough for both of us. And she was a Christian woman. And she's like, yeah, my God's got you. And I had to believe that. Once I got into meditation, it became like connection to the universe, energy, like just this universal thread that connects everyone and everything. And at its center is love. And that's what I needed because I hated myself when I got sober. The things I did, all the shame and this spirituality, it just... It's awesome. I just have to say it's awesome. Like I meditate every day, every day. I I don't miss a day um, in terms of recovery. And, you know, this COVID is a blessing in a way because all the meetings are on Zoom right now. And um, I wish I was one of those people that I put down drugs and alcohol and all as well, because there are people like that in AA. But for me, money cropped up, food cropped up. I'm in like four programs right now. We're walking step, working steps in all of them. And I used to be like, oh, woe is me. Like, why another thing? Why another program? But now what I believe in my soul and, and love, I think you can get on board with this. We're light workers. Mm-hmm. Like 
we go through these things to show people that no matter what, you can recover, you can be okay. Like, it's easy to be an asshole in this world. It's harder to be kind. It's harder to have empathy. And Taylor's been there with me. Like, I lost the love of my life a little over two years ago. He died of an overdose. And looking back now at text messages and whatnot, was it intentional? Was it not? And that's something he struggled with, mental health. Last night, um, my sister texted me that my great aunt died, and she's the only one in my family that ever recovered. It runs deep in my family. Everybody's an addict or an alcoholic. And I was devastated and I was crying because it brought me back. This was the one woman that when we had to commit my mother for a year, my mother was bipolar. We always knew there was something wrong with her, but we didn't have the words. We didn't have the education for it. So when she had a psychotic break, now we're schizoaffective, she was so far gone, we had to put her away for a year. My father didn't visit her once. It was like, there's that stigma, man. Like, I used to go up every day, I remember. And we need to talk about these things because it's a chemical imbalance. It's like a diabetic needing insulin. When she was on her meds, she was great. She was great, but so many people turn a blind eye to it and turn their back on these people because they don't know how to deal with it. So it's our job, once again, as light workers, to educate people. Yeah. It's so important. So important. Um, yeah. So uh, do you have anything you want to say to that? Well, I think one of like my main questions is I am consistently thinking about what type of healer I am. And um, as a nurse, uh, I want to know how your healing, um, spiritual healing, plays effect in your nursing uh, career. Yeah. So like I said, sometimes it's, it's harder to be kind. And uh, I work in Harlem in an emergency department. So the area is high in uh, mental illness, high in uh, addiction and alcoholism. And we have, when the people come in and they're emotionally disturbed, we call them code yellows. I've been kicked. I've been spit on. I've been all of the above. And I look at the nurses around me and it, it really makes me sad because I see things that I wish I didn't see sometimes. I see them pull the curtain and give it back to the patient. And for me, this, the spirituality that um, I follow, I can stop and see this as a sick person, not as a bad person. Mm -hmm. You know, I can have empathy and compassion and people, they say that to me all the time. How could you be so nice to these people? But it's been time and time again I get chills when I think about it where, and you don't expect it, um, that the person says, thank you so much for treating me like a human, like nobody ever does this for me. And that's what people need sometimes, a little understanding, a little kindness, um, a little energy healing. Like when we have codes and people go into cardiac arrest and they die and, you know, I, I try to put my hands on them and, and send them good energy and their families and, you know, just, it. it I try to be a, per a better person a day at a time. And I, I try to treat everyone with love because I believe mm -hmm. that's what will change the world. Like hate isn't working for us guys. I mean, look yes. what's going on right now. It's, it's not love is going to be the change. And my guy thinks he's like, Oh, you know, I'm like, your way hasn't worked because he has very strong views as well. You know? So yeah, love is the way I believe that in my heart. 
So I just, what you said earlier about how like, you know, when you first got sober and you started to feel all this negative shit, I can totally like relate with that. That's like tough for me because I've done this since, uh, this year, like 2020, I've done two separate 30 day sobers, 30 day sober periods. I just did one, uh, like I did a few days ago and it's, it's tough because like when you stop drinking, you start feeling all the shitty guilt and those feelings that creep up into your head and it's hard to deal with that shit. I have like, you know, I, I'm someone who is, I, I, you know, with, with, with drugs and alcohol, I don't think that it's affecting my life where if I have one sip of beer, I'm going to go on a tangent where I'm chugging tons of, you know, 13, 14 beers or anything like that. But it's something for me that's like a slow drawn out thing where if I drink one night and have a few, it's like the next thing, you know, I have every day for the next two weeks, I've had a beer and I'm in this foggy phase. I I work is difficult and people are looking at me weird. So that's how it sort of affected my life. You talked um, extensively on like, it's important to educate others and continue to spread the knowledge. I want to know through your process and when you went to AA, how did you actually acquire the spirituality and why do you feel like it's so important to spread this knowledge? Yeah. Okay. So you go to a 12 step program. It'd be kind of crazy not to work the steps and um, they're in order for a reason. And the point of the steps is that once you go through them, you have your spiritual awakening. When I tell you there wasn't a a second, like I could not go and Taylor knows I put myself away for a year because I was so far gone. I could have gone home to my ex, but like I knew I needed more. So if they would have told me to stand on my head, I would have done it. Um, The obsession was so great for me. I remember I had gotten sober in the summer and I couldn't look at my, I was wearing long sleeves because I couldn't look at my arms. It was a trigger. So when it was that drastic and you know i went back to school in sobriety and now i'm a nurse i work with narcotics all day like i never thought i could work in a restaurant again when i was a manager like i was re- i remember tapping the kegs and sometimes they would spray and like my first reaction is to run to the sink and like wash my mouth out because i feel that hole inside me. Mm. you know that emptiness that that's what addiction is you have to fill that hole and that's what spirituality gives you. And it, it allows you to get out of yourself because it's such a selfish disease. It really, it's all about me, you know, what I'm doing and what you think of me. And the way to stay sober is God and service. And I mean, that's what these programs teach you. You know, they teach you how to just be a better person a day at a time, you know, but it really was through the steps for me. So you found that like, you know, you're, you helping others is a way for you to help yourself get through some of these things. Oh yeah. That's like the basis of it. That's how you stay sober. You give it away. Like you can't believe me. There's sometimes if you look at my schedule right now, good Lord. And there's sometimes I don't want to show up, but I do it anyway. You know, that's, it's doing things you don't want to do, you know, because I know if that doesn't happen, I know where I'm going to go back. It's, it's, this is me for life. Like I accept the fact that I'm just different from other people and that's okay. You know, and especially with the mental health thing, I'm ADHD. I'm on an antidepressant for it because I can't take anything like Ritalin or Adderall. I go to therapy, you know, I I was in trauma therapy for years and I'm still, I had therapy yesterday. So it really is just a work in progress. You know, I think it's, I think it's, it's also not just, you know, 
problem with substance abuse, but any sort of like mental anxiety, depression and things like that. If you experience those things, it, it feels like you're healing yourself when you help heal others. Yes. And that's sort of yeah. like, that's kind of a, a underlying theme with this podcast is like, I feel like you're talking about stigma. There aren't too many like that I see in the public, big dudes who are big football fans who are out there talking about mental health and wellness and things like that. And I remember like the first time I saw Kevin Love, who is this very famous NBA basketball player. He did this huge thing on his anxiety as a, you know, we look at this guy, he's an NBA champion. He's an all-star. He's this big six foot eight, you know, good looking dude. And he struggles, you know, he, he was shaking on the way to games and things like that. And even when he's winning, even when he's losing. So I think that like me reaching out to people like you, me reaching out to love Mark, Sally, some of the people we've done these on and cover some of these topics. You can, hopefully you could let other people know that it's okay to talk about some of these things. Cause so like I, reminded me, yeah, a couple of days ago, there's a guy that I work with, big bodybuilder, big muscles. He's from Yemen, which, you know, the culture, it's very hush, hush. And we were in trauma the other day together. And out of nowhere, he starts talking to me because I, I'm like, I said, I'm very open about it. And he started crying and I'm like, and he told me about his mother. She had the psychotic break, all this, whatever, how he took care of her, how she's on her meds now. And he's like, I come home now and she wants to hug me. Like my mom is back. Cause people forget when, when people are like that, it's not them. It's, it's, it's generational. Yeah. So it, me just talking about it at work allowed him to feel safe enough to open up and talk about it. And I'm talking like this dude, like you're saying, you know, Yeah, it's a blessing. It really is. Well, there's a lot of things that are generational. You know, I was talking to my mom yesterday who's 60 now. She grew up in uh, North Attleboro, Massachusetts. Mm -hmm. And she, you know, there's so much going on in the world right now with the George Floyd murder and all the protests. And we were just talking about how like we have to educate ourselves. She was like, look, I, you know, my parents were born in the 1920s and they grew up I didn't, there were no black people in my town. I didn't run into black people until I was, you know, in late high school and early college and things like that. And, you know, her experience was she had a totally different upbringing with me and her parents had this like old school kind of ways and things like that. And it's like, you know, it's okay to break those stigmas down and to educate people. So, um, do you have any questions you want to ask or how how are you feeling so far? Good, good. Good? I I really am. Um, And love, I just had an afterthought on on what you were talking about. You said, you know, about the spirituality because do you, you meditate, I assume, right? Yeah, so, I meditate. So it really is about that connection to something bigger than you. Mm-hmm. You know, just knowing that no matter what, you're okay and you're loved. Because you look at things, I've experienced things in meditation where when I say it's normal people, they, they look at me like I'm crazy. Like mm-hmm. I've transcended. I felt love in every core of my being every cell in my body and I think when you understand that there's you're connected to something so much bigger yeah you you know you sometimes you could be in a a room full of people and feel completely alone but with spirituality you're never alone never alone yeah that's so funny yesterday I went on a hike with a friend and um, we just sat down at one point at this peak and we just talked about uh how profound the world is and how like every being around us is within us. Like, and that's something that's really helped me over the last few weeks, recognizing that like everything that I touch, everything that I see is made 
of the universe and I am made of the universe. And that continues to strengthen this idea in me that like, I am a work of art. And I think that sometimes we can get really down on ourselves. Like for me, my meditation practice has been really strong over quarantine. So as you said, like this is a blessing for me because I was able to really strengthen some of these habits. But my meditation practice has been so strong, especially because I recognize that like, just because I don't sit down for 15 minutes at a time and meditate that way, that's not the only way to meditate. Like I meditate by doing mantras and chants, um, affirmations. For me, it's like taking a walk and sitting outside and looking at the sun and, or not directly, obviously, but (laughs) looking at the sky. But, um, Taylor has expressed those things too. And at first, when we first started to date, I'm like, well, you should possibly meditate. And then he's kind of made me realize that meditation is different for everyone. And he meditates, you confirm or deny if this is correct, but he needs to go for a walk with the dogs. Like in order to clear his mind, in order to think properly, he needs to go for a walk. He likes to be in the woods. And I think through all of this and, and by having clear discussions, the number one thing that you keep emphasizing is like talk, be willing to talk and be open and honest about things. And I think that's what leads everyone to continue to progress because now that I know that Taylor does things differently, I'm like, Oh wow, maybe I was being very closed minded about something and now I'm able to expand my thinking. Um, so spirituality I think is through spreading a philosophy. And that's something that I, I learned uh, during college and I can't get over, but it's just having a conversation and be willing to actively listen to others in order to have a strengthened conversation at least. Yeah, absolutely. I totally agree with you. It looks different. Everybody's journey is different. And even if when you speak your truth, that people don't react the way that you because like sometimes you just want to shake them and be like, it could be so good. You don't yeah. know what's missing. <laughs> but at least maybe you planted the seed that later on down the line, something will click, you yeah. know? Yo, yeah. I, th- I think you you planted some serious seeds at JG Mellon, dead ass. Like you could feel the effect of you even mm-hmm. after you let with like left with like Marie, Jorge, Tony, all those people, you know? So I just want to say that. But uh, um, one thing that I'm trying to work on is like my breathing, because I feel like you can do that if you're about to enter a stressful meeting or, or even when you're inside a meeting or you're doing something like I show, I had my first work meeting yesterday. I'm about to go back to work and they called everybody in and I was so, I was like, Oh man, I just, you know, I really don't want to show up to work. It's been like these, but, and I was told, I showed up, I was breathing fine. Everything was fine. I'm having a great meeting. And then all of a sudden I, they, they started saying, all right, we're open this week. We're going to need everybody went back. And I instantly just like changed and everyone could like see me. Everyone starts looking at me and I was just like, fuck man. Like I need to like, when I have anxiety in my head, especially about going back to work, I need to focus on like, okay, take deep breaths. It's okay. You're the realization. This vacation is over and the world starts again. Breathe through this shit. Let that calm you. So that's something that I'm personally working on. Um, in terms of like meditation, because you can meditate even in the middle of a podcast yeah. or a conversation and things like that. It's not about when you're alone out on a beach with yeah. you know music yeah. playing and shit like that. So <laughs> you can do it whenever. Um, yeah, I do want to share a resource, a book that I have been reading, um, and it's taking me some time because it's such a, a strengthening book for my practice. But it's called Emotional Detox: mm-hmm. um, The Seven Steps to Joy and. Uh, no exaggeration they have like 
very clear steps on how to activate joy in your own life. And um, there's this thing called the stress tap. And whenever you're feeling like overwhelmed or you're like you have fear within you, you um, turn your hand over uh, and you just tap in between your wrist and your pinky um, yeah. for 30 seconds with your middle finger and your pointer finger. And you just tap for 30 to 60 seconds. And I've done it and I've seen the like, the way that I respond afterwards and they give tons of tools in this book. And I'm, I I think everyone needs to learn how to harness their emotions to work for them and not against them. And I think that this is one of those times, right? Anxiety is just a form of fear. And if you can harness that fear to work for you instead of against you, you can really respond to all stimuli a little differently. So if you ever get the chance, definitely take out, check out the book. What's it called? Emotional detox. Motion. Oh yeah, she's been reading that. Like it's like yeah, a, yeah. I'm yeah, when taking I, when the I book. When I first started going to therapy, um, we used to do tapping med- uh, meditation, and you start um, the session with a feeling, and by the end of it, and I'm talking like maybe three minutes later, you can't even like focus on the feeling. Like it's out of your brain. It's yeah. insane because, and I did it right before this. I was nervous about this. I meditated. Uh, yeah. When it came on, I was like, breathe in God, breathe out anxiety, breathe in God, breathe out worry, self-righteousness, grandiosity, like yeah. all these defects of character that, that we experience as human beings because you always want to put on your best face. But that's happening. It's, it grounds you. It brings you back into the present because anxiety just wants to take you on a trip, man. <laughs> I know it yeah. sucks. Yes. No, we did some breathing exercises before this too. That's not, that's a new <laughs> thing did. to me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We've I, been taking our deep breaths and we've been really focusing on being present at least because I realized that like, um, a large part of my life I've spent like in my brain and that means that I'm not present and really acknowledging what someone is saying and I'm not actively listening or I think that I am, but I'm already like I, I feel like in a lot of conversations, people um, have a conversation in order to respond or listen to respond instead of actively listening. Um, As I'm like fucking fiddling with everything over here. Sorry. <laughs> yeah, sorry. <laughs> but this is it's something that like I'm starting to recognize. And we have this amazing quote that we found um, when we went to San Diego last year um, to go visit a school that I'm interested in going to at our Airbnb host house. And it said self-awareness equals active listening, active listening equals self realization, self-realization equals self-actualization. And over this course of this year, we continue to ground ourselves in that quote. And like, whenever we say something, I'll look at the board and I'll be like, look, self-awareness, we're being self-aware. And like, I think that that can play parts in every single platform in every um, environment you're in, just because if you're not self-aware, then you're not really, you're not really present. Like I noticed that in myself, I'm, I'm in my head instead of being present, having a conversation with someone. Um, so then I can't, genuinely realize things about myself and I can't actually be the person that I want to be. So well said. So that quote has definitely changed, changed my, I got to write that down. Yeah. We'll send it to you. (laughs) Yeah, please. Maybe we could ask Christina about some of the stuff that's going on with quarantine. So I I also want to reach out to you because you're a nurse through quarantine. (laughs) And so what has that experience been like for you personally? Okay, so talk about challenging your mental health. That mm-hmm. was, 
And I'm so grateful that I have the outlets I have because I work with people that are still struggling so much. We can't unsee what we saw. Like I said, I work at Harlem Hospital in the ED. We were the front line. You know, you hear like Elmhurst Hospital and this, that. We were just as bad. Like that picture you saw with the trailer with the bodies, that was our hospital. Mm. And um, so when it started, nobody knew what it was you didn't know if you caught it were you going to die because at first they said you know it was only older people susceptible but then we started seeing 30 year olds no past medical history being intubated and it was crazy it was just crazy the hospital really dropped the ball there was no ppe i remember one day the doctors were covered um they had their respirators and whatnot we had no n95s we had no gowns um i remember one day i had 13 patients this was at the height, man. We were so understaffed. This is before the travelers came. And when the travelers got there, the worst was over. So there were 13 patients and the doctor said to me, you, you're supposed to change PPE in and out of every room. There were no ICU beds. These people would be in the ED for days at a time, not allowed to leave the room, eating, going to the bathroom in there. It was, and the doctor said to me, you know, you have to put on a gown. And I remember just having tears come to my eyes saying, they won't give me one. Like, what do you want me to do? And I would see these people crashing. Like when, when you say intubated, now you need a team to do that. You need the anesthesiologist, you need doctors, you need um, nurses, you need. And I remember one shift, they were just dropping like flies. They were doing five intubations at the same time. Some of them in the hallways, because we didn't have rooms. It was just, mm. I had never seen anything like, like it before in my life. And um, there's a, a PA that worked there for 30 years. And he said, you know, he had been through the crack epidemic. He had been through the HIV. He said this, like, it, it it's messed with him. Um, it got a little better. They brought in PPE. And uh, how long I into remember, everything did they bring in the PPE? How long had it been at that time? Oh, God, weeks weeks. Yeah, it, it was bad. And I remember um, we would go to our shift and just like, it was one foot in front of the other. And at the end of our shifts, like we would just cry. There, were, there was most times you're just holding someone's hand as, cause you know, there's no hope. You know, they sound like they're drowning. It's, it's, that's what they're doing. They're drowning in their own lungs. And um, all you could do was just be present as they passed on to wherever you believe they go next. And uh, you would come in the next day and eight of your coworkers would call out, but you couldn't be mad because you understood. It was so heavy. And I, the blessing in that too was I had to work my, because there were thoughts, suicidal thoughts would creep in. Like it, it's crazy how it messed with you. Your, your brain couldn't process what was going on. And um, that really like pushed me to work my program even harder to meditate even more. Like I needed that. And uh, mm. for a week, they a week they brought in, which I'm so grateful for too, the helping healers heal. And anybody could come in and speak of their experience with a psychologist and um, some doctors and, and the rage that came up. I, I was hysterical I, I, and I didn't think it was going to hit me like that. And I'm like, you failed us. Like we were thrown under the bus, you know, like, and I worked with COVID. Um, I ended up, 
I had six of my own days off and I ended up only calling out two days and it was very difficult for me to even get tested. And I wanted to get tested. I, I wasn't because we were short sets. I get it. Somebody had to be in the hospital. You knew everybody was going to get it. Like you had to work sick, but, um, sorry, I lost my train of thought. Um, I wanted to know for like my partner, he's 47. He has severe asthma. Like he has daughters at home. You know, like I was by myself for months. I wouldn't let him near me. And it was just, it, it was just a very difficult time, very difficult, but nobody knew what was going on. You know, it was, yeah, the, the after effects and even of COVID itself, like I still have GI problems to this day. There's some days the fatigue will hit me so hard. And this isn't just my experience. This is people I work with who also have gone through this. One of my friends, she's still, when I say a rash, which she showed me a picture of her ass, like her skin is coming off. Oh, wow. And uh, it's still like that. So there's so much we still don't know about this. So, you know, fear could take you to another place. But like I said, it's just staying present, not projecting, not going to the scary place. But um, yeah, it's definitely so much better now. I have to say so much better. And even though the travelers had come um, at a time where it really was letting up, if we didn't get that physical release, like, it helped us psychologically because now they talk about the second wave. Like it, it's going to come. You look at trends of the flu, uh, influenza, Spanish flu, like spring is the appetizer, fall is the main course, you know? So it's really important that people continue social distancing, wearing the mask. I don't want to hear you complain about wearing a mask for 45 minutes. I wear it 12 and a half hours. Like mm. suck it up. It's not about you. It's about how you could hurt somebody else. And uh, no, it's not political. No, it's not a conspiracy. Like, this shit's real. It's real, you know? And that's my rant. <laughs> no, I yeah. mean, thank you for informing us. Is there, my question for you and a lot of people is like, is there some sort of, you know, silver lining in terms of how you're going to view life after this pandemic? Have you gained, oh. like, is there some sort of appreciation that you can gain from going through this what? experience? Life is so precious, so precious. There were times, and you forget now that the families, the, the families were not allowed in. They could not see their, their loved ones pass on. At the very end, they were bringing in like iPads and people were unresponsive, but the family would still talk to them through iPads. And once again, it just reinforces at the end of it, all there is is love. That's it. That's it. You appreciate every moment. You appreciate every encounter with every person you realize you try to see the best and you were talking about this before love like even the difficult things like it's all our teachers this thing and i feel that on a spiritual level opens people's eyes yeah quarantine forced you no more distractions restaurants and movies and this yes. and that like you are present you are with the person you like it makes you appreciate what you had and you realize what's really important. So yeah. yeah, like spirituality played into it so much, so much. It's it's beautiful. That's the silver lining. Yeah. Yo, I'm I'm with your mindset, and that's how I'm trying to come from from this thing, and like yeah. look at this as like you know uh, learn some lessons. Uh, unfortunately, I have this. I have a feeling that a ton of people are not going to think like that. Like when I went back to work, my, my job over here in Jersey has been open for a few days, outdoor dining. 
And I'm like, so how are the customers? Is every, you know, and they're like, they're still just as shitty. They're still just as rude. They're still breaking all the same rules. It's like, it's like, it's like, they didn't miss a beat. Life is paused and it's just like play. And I'm just like, fuck, dude. I wish like, that's okay. And not everybody's going to think that way. I'm trying to, I'm trying to think that way too. And like, you know, I've realized through this, I think when this thing first hit and I'm like, well, I ain't got it. I don't have to get up for a job anymore. We can just like buy a bottle of wine and drink a bunch of alcohol. And like, I quickly learned that like, that is not how I'm going to go through this period. I'm going to be like mental. I'm going to come out of this thing mentally and physically stronger than when I went in. And it's sort of making me realize that like, if I want to be successful in life, I might have to give up alcohol. And I don't know if I'm at that point where I can do it but I'm just trying to go. I told love the other day, like I'm just going to do day by day and like see where it goes and try to have appreciation and gratitude for every day that going forward, because you know, there were times where I was like, what if society doesn't open back up and we just continue this thing and unemployment runs out and I don't have a fucking job and like, I can't pay rent and all, you know what I mean? Like that was a, that's a pos that was a possibility at one point. So I'm with you on that mindset. I, I'm, I hope people can start to think like that, but what about you? Um, yeah, I, I feel very much the same way. I feel like, um, that's why I said my, my practice is really strengthened in this time. I think, um, I really appreciated how much I got to slow down. And I think that often in this lifetime, we feel the need to rush and we feel, especially living in the tri-state area, it's like, where are you going? I need to be somewhere else. And this has to be done. And, and I know that. And I know that it's always led to a sense of uh, anxiety and, and um, it's triggered me in ways that has not been healthy. But when this initially happened, I really wanted to quit my job. Like, like the week of, I was like, I don't think I can do this for the rest of the year. I might have to quit. It's just too much on me mentally. And that's why I say for me, it's been a blessing because then I realized that I I can do it. I just needed a break. I needed, I needed time for myself because as an educator, much like nurses, I'm giving so much of myself. And if I'm not putting that energy back into me and like taking some of those practices that I give to other people and using them for myself, which I wasn't, um, then I'm often really stressed and really, uh, like just angry, angry about having to deal with all of the things that I don't want to. So this has helped me in so many ways. And I can't say, uh, from my perspective, I mean, we did have COVID at one point and we also were, we, but the thing is like it, it's shaped our, our experiences differently because from our perspective, I'm like, Oh, we were fine. Like everything is good. And to hear you speak about like how mortifying it actually was it, this is why we need to have conversations because for me as a person who does not trust the government and I want to ask how you think the government, New York, New Jersey are handling this, but for me, I really didn't even want to go get tested because I don't want the government to know that I have it and then they're going to track me and like just pay. That was a big thing. That was a huge thing when this started. He like, wanted to go get tested and I yeah. was like, go ahead and go get tested. Be my guest. I'm not going. I already know I have it. I don't care. Like I feel yeah. it. I know that it's here. I, I know that I have it. And we confirmed it by uh, Taylor woke up for a few days, maybe even a week or so yeah. saying like, I really can't smell anything and I really can't taste anything. And I was like, uh, 
And then the morning he woke up to get tested, there was new, uh, like release of symptoms that were not known before. And I was like, okay, so like I said, we have it. You can go get tested if you want, but I'm not going. And I think that that led to me being almost, um, really biased towards the way that this is played out. And that's why I'm very happy that you're sharing um, your perspective on this and what was really happening. And I would really like to hear how you feel the government and um, like just all of our representatives and officials are handling this situation, especially since you know that there's going to be a second wave. Yeah. Um, and I'm a big conspiracy theorist as well. Keep that in mind. Dude, number <laughs> like, one when the, right here. Come, when the vaccine's coming out, I'm not getting it. Like, yeah. no. <laughs> I'm like thinking of plant me with a microchip. No freaking yeah. way. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, and the, the great thing with it is one thing you can do to help if you want um, is donate plasma, you know, because that mm. really helps people. Um, okay. You know, the, the actual testing. Uh, can you write that down? Yeah, I also did the uh, the antibody testing. Um, the government, I feel like, really dropped the ball. They they really did. I mean, let's start at the top. The president, when he said that nurses were exaggerating, when we said we need these ventilators, we need these, like, we just could not believe the things that were coming out of people's mouths. Cuomo, I have to say, though, he really fought for us. Like, that man stepped up. I didn't know too much about him, but yeah. he handled that shit like a boss. Like, And even to this day, he always responds because Trump wants to pick a fight with him. And he always responds with graceful, passive aggressiveness. Like yeah. he will lower himself to his uh, level, which is beautiful to watch. But um, yeah, the government, I feel like really dropped the ball. I mean, even until today, we can talk about things like such as hazard pay, right? So I work for a city hospital and we haven't seen a dime, you know, private hospitals got, 2500 extra bucks, $125 an hour, free vacations. What? And oh yeah. And and this is nothing against ShopRite or or um, McDonald's, but even they were getting $2 more an hour. We got nothing. Nothing. And um, one of my coworkers actually had it and he was intubated for 3 weeks and you know, so you saw all this stuff play out and it was too little too late. That's what it is. Like, yeah, they got the PPE. Yeah, they got, but they were warned of this, you know, like mm-hmm. they were warned by China, by, by Italy, by, and he just chose to turn a blind eye. You know, a lot of this could have been prevented. It really could have. So I pray in my heart of hearts that when the second wave does come, that they'll step up and do better. Like, just do better. Should just admit, okay, we made a mistake. I'll do better, you know, because. Yeah. Yeah, but definitely, I honestly, I wouldn't get the vaccine. That's just for me. Yeah, I yeah, that's already number one on my list. I'm like, there's no, I don't get any vaccines. I don't trust because I don't, first of all, I don't know half of the ingredients. No, 95% of the ingredients they put in these vaccines. And to me, it's like my body, I, I feel like is very sacred. This is yeah. my, I, I own this, <laughs> this art and I don't Apple. want, yeah, I don't want someone to force me into doing things with my body. And as a yeah. black woman, I a hundred percent don't trust the government because nope. they've done such heinous things to my people alone that it's like yeah that doesn't work for me so a lot of people who are pro-vaccine I'm like that's great for you I don't want to be judgmental but like there's no way in hell no way in hell I would ever voluntarily do that yeah and why was a vaccine 
being produced by a man that has no Bill Gates, has no medical experience whatsoever. And yes, it's all about this. I tell you, it is all about the money. And you look, he had a vaccine back, I'm gonna say 60s, 70s, whatever, and you saw the after effects, like the children were crippled, were like, how is this man having a say in what we do with with our bodies? Like you, people were questioning, you know, the the World Health Organization, that's Mm -hmm. the people you should listen to. Not Bill Gates. I'm sorry. Yeah. Even, well, I found out a few months ago that, um, I mean, we knew that all of these minerals and things that are in everything that we use, our computers, our vaccines, our medicines, our food, whatever, um, was being mined in Africa. I did not know that they were being mined by like eight year old children and the children are getting either paid nothing or like seven cents. And to me, that, that really hurts. That really, um, it disgusts me. It disgusts me. Large corporations genuinely disgust me. And now we've done a lot more research and I'm, I'm recognizing that there's corruption literally everywhere you turn that if we don't continue to inform ourselves or each other, we continue to make the rich richer and we continue to like, uh, emphasize or, condone this negative nasty behavior done by people and as you said like for me the basis of everything that I do and every action that I want to complete for the rest of my life is based out of love and if people who are like helping represent our country who are helping fund different organizations who are doing things that are supposed to be positive for our communities are doing things that are harmful that needs to be addressed. People have to inform themselves so that we can really dismantle that power. And as a collective, as a community, as all Americans, we need to gain that power and we need to make sure things are done the right way and not the easy way. Yeah. And you look at that, like you say, the the, the government's supposed to be for the people. When they were funding, they weren't funding small businesses. They're funding mm-hmm. Shake Shack. Yeah. These big corporations that fund presidential campaigns, you know, they're they're the ones who are benefiting off of this. And like I was talking about Hazard Pay before, they had this hero's bill and the House passed it. And the Senate now is saying once it hits Trump's death, it's dead on arrival. Like, this is for the people. Like, why are you making it so hot or so hard? Because they want that money to go to serve their best interests. You know, it's not about the people. Which is why to me, they're so yeah, rich yeah, yeah. already. They're so rich. Like, yeah. What else do I you know. need? Share the wealth. Share the wealth. We can, all, we can all prosper. But like you look at things like with the protests right now, look how much has gotten accomplished in what, 20 something days. You yeah. know, peaceful, peaceful. Like it's these little changes. Like I feel like people are awake right now. Like we were just in this cocoon of distraction. Mm-hmm. Like people are woke. Like, yeah. <laughs> and I'm so excited about it, you know? And people need to stay woke though. That's the thing. They, they really need to not fall back into that cycle. And I it's pray about, for that. Every it's day. educating people. Like we have to educate people. Cause like I, you know, before I was in this relationship and even for a significant part of this relationship, I, you know, kind of had a lot of blinders on and it's taken a lot for me to sort of like start realizing and it's taken a lot of dialogue to get through my thick fucking skull. (laughs) It really has. And, and I think you said that you think that people are awakening. I, 
I really, I want to have faith in humanity and I want to have faith in all people, but I don't, I don't think it's a genuine awakening. I think it's something because it's, it's convenient right now. And I know that convenience will offer results for a lot of people, but I want long lasting, genuine results. And I want people who are genuinely able to wake up like despite I, I mean this is definitely going to push a lot of people I do agree but even when we were talking about Black Lives Matter in our last podcast a lot of people I feel like are falsely or um, like imitating that sense of like support and not it's not genuine and I do have an issue with that and I, I want people to express how they truly feel and I want people to be authentic in their expression and I don't want to see you post a square box. I mean, a black box and then like not support in other ways. Like social media is great for sharing information, but like that can't be the only thing that you're willing to do. And you can't take everything you see on the news in general, especially on social media as like the truth for everything. And I think in our world, we watch 13th and Taylor told me I need to stop referencing this one documentary, but it was so (laughs) profound to me because I realized how much strength we always, I knew this for a while, but how much strength the media really plays um, in our society. And it's like, I think a lot of people might not know that. And I think even if they do, it's like, yeah, it's okay though. Like they'll just kind of brush it to the side and be like, well, they said it on the news and I have an issue with that. And I, I want people to, I want everyone to do their research right now. I want everyone to, um, I want everyone to come together, but I want genuine unity. Yeah. So where I work, it's primarily with people of color, right? Mm -hmm. And Taylor will tell you, I'm not afraid ever to say the uncomfortable. People will be like, I'm not racist. I'm not blah, blah, blah. Listen, I tell everybody I work with, I grew up with the most racist father. This was years and years and years of things beat into my head all these stereotypes, all these biases, which I was talking about with my guy last night, because he'll be like, oh, they're all lazy. Well, they're like this mm-hmm. really horrible shit. Mm-hmm. And I said, listen, I'm trying to see it through your eyes. But, and I give him factual information about housing and school, schools not being funded and uh, p- public health. And my thing is to say, Yes, that stuff is in my head, but I make the conscious choice today not to run with that. I can't say that my head isn't filled with, but sometimes the thought will come. I mean, it's it's really breaking that, like you said, that generational conditioning. And for someone just, and he, he said that too. He's like, oh, look, I work with, I'm not racist. I'm like, but look at the things that are coming out of your mouth. Yes, yes you are. You still have that in you. And that's really what needs to happen right now. People need to be uncomfortable. I love 2020. Let me tell you, like, that, that, I swear to God, it's like one thing after another. Like, yeah. I would never say, I understand what you're going through because I don't. I, do, I could not possibly fathom what a lifetime of oppression could do. Like, I have like a little bit of, oh, I'm a woman, a male patriarchy and la la la. But to be a black woman, a woman, I could never imagine. Like, I heard this beautiful thing. Oprah said, where we go from here? It was, um, a two night special. She brought in reverends and producers and the mayor of Georgia. And she said, the way to um, explain privilege is if there's a stream, right? And the white man is swimming with the current. 
the person of color is swimming against the current. Yes, they're both working hard, but the person of color has to work just that much harder. You know, it's not, it, it, it's not, it's not equal. I pray someday it would be, do, will we see it in our generation? I think we'll see some changes. I pray for the best. I really do. But people need to really start talking about the issue and being honest. And like you said, genuine, I'm sorry. Yeah. We, we talk a lot about this stuff. I think it starts with like acceptance and acknowledgement that like there is white privilege and it's about moving forward. And, and like, you know, I have learned so much in this relationship, but I can't undo my past thinking. You yeah. know what I mean? I can only move forward and it's like, okay, yes, I, white people do have an advantage in this world. Acknowledge that. Try to educate yourself, try to educate others and treat and have empathy. That's a big thing with yeah. this is empathy. Think about it from another person's. You're a white woman. You're an African-American woman. Think about it from other people's perspectives. Exactly. Yeah. And, you know, I think I said this earlier, but like, you know, my mom was, my mom, mother was raised with racist parents as well. Not racist. Yeah. I shouldn't say that, but she was raised. I was going to say racist. racist. My grandmother's not racist. Nanny. She's fucking the shit. But, <laughs> um, but you know, we had this, my mother's parents were raised, were born in the 1920s. So they were a few years older than me when Jim Crow was going on and things like that. Yeah. And my grandfather ran a semi-professional football team with the majority of the players were black. So he and the family did interact with a lot of African-Americans yeah. growing up. And I think that through hearing stories, my grandfather was, you know, he was very kind to African-Americans. They'd come, the, the players would play it as, would stay over their house. I've met some of the former players in their elder years and they say great things about him. But I do think that there was this, those are our football players. We treat them a certain way. Mm -hmm. Random African-Americans on the street are not as, we don't treat the same. Yeah. So there is that sort of like difference and this is part of our culture, this part of our tribe. Those people might be treated differently. We might have some racist thoughts to them. But, yeah. and my mother, like you were, my, my mother was, was raised, you know, never having run into many African-Americans until she was older in high school. She grew up in Massachusetts and, you know, she, she had to, the same as you sort of educate herself and think through a lot of those things. And that's really important. And, you know, because it's shaped how I can have a re relationship with an African-American woman at a young age where that would have been probably totally different experience for her and maybe you as well. Yeah. Um, I actually, when you, you um, said that you can't like unlearn the things from your past, you can only move forward. I think that that's what we need to do right now. I think we need to unlearn a lot of things from our past. I don't know if I said I can't, but okay. Okay. My apologies. Okay. Um, I think that we, we genuinely need to go into our vaults, our memories and say like, this is why I love to read. I love, love, love to read because I love reading things that offer that offer a sense of a solution for my own life. And I read the four agreements and the mastery of love, which are, yeah, definitely foundational in my practice. But the four agreements, I realized there was a lot of things in this life that I really don't agree to. And I knew that there were things growing up. My dad, black man, taught me hate for white people, genuine hate. Yeah. I grew up in a white neighborhood, which was so odd because he'd be like, don't trust them but you got to go to school with them. And that was so conflicting for me in my experience. Yeah. At one point he was very, very adamant about if you bring home a white guy, I will disown you and you could never come into my house again. That's not the case. He's been very open and loving towards was the case for a short period of time. 
but to this day, right now, he is not um, like hateful. Him and Taylor have done podcasts together. He has opened his mind to things. But um, all of this is to say, like, you have to figure out genuinely what you agree to in this lifetime. And I noticed that there were things that my dad would say from a very young age. I did not agree to. I did not agree that the white man was the devil. That was just like I, I couldn't get that didn't make sense to me because all human beings are great not everyone is the shittiest person in the world. Not all <laughs> white men are the devil. Just some, she's just most, like, most of us. Just like bad everywhere. Huh? Yeah. Just like there are some like black Hispanic and there's devils in every race. Yeah. Um, but I think that like reading has offered me such a solution for myself. And I couldn't emphasize this enough to like students. One of my students was like, you have a great book to read. We talked about the four agreements. She read it. And it's like, those are things that we need to influence. And yeah. I think we do have to, there's so much generational history and we were talking about this a few days ago because we watched something and I told him, I don't think that, I think most people in this country are brainwashed if, if we can just be honest. And that's why they think people who are spiritual are hippy dippy because we are thinking outside of the norm. Um, but we are genuinely brainwashed because not only do you have the influence of your father or your mother and your siblings and your family, but you also have the influence of teachers. And maybe sometimes teachers are saying things that might affect you, might make you think a little differently. Right. And then yeah. you also have the influence of the media and TV shows and all of these underlying that might not seem racist they yeah. all like a lot of these things have racist cues. The news never thought the news was racist until recently. And I'm like, oh, wow. Never thought TV shows that I watched as a kid were racist. But why is there always only one black character? Like yeah, these yeah, are yeah. things that we have to really talk about. And um, it's just it's very interesting how we don't acknowledge our ancestors enough. We need to acknowledge their we need to acknowledge their um what's the word i'm thinking of their impact on who we are today yeah my ancestors are very like impactful to who i am today because my dad watched um listen to his dad talk about his grandfather being hung so that will consistently play a part in our history my dad is biased towards white people and i find that bias towards white people for a very similar reason those are things that we need to continue to address and we need to be self-aware so we can actively listen and we can be our, our real selves and be our actual selves so i think yeah. that this always kind of ties back together but we do need to do a lot of that like um deep digging on, yeah. in our roots and our history like my father, he kicked my, my niece and nephews are biracial and he kicked my sister out when she became pregnant at 17. I remember Didn't you telling me that. Years. Yeah. Later on down the line, you know, he had a relationship with the kids, but like I said, like he turned his back on his own blood mm -hmm. because of what he was conditioned. So that shit runs deep, yep. deep. Like I can go back further and further and see it in my family history. And like you said, like, just be authentic. Just talk about it, acknowledge it, say to people, don't dismiss it. I see your pain. I'm sorry. Mm -hmm. Let's do better. Like what can, what can we do now to make mm -hmm. it better? Yeah. It's, it's, it's exhausting sometimes. Oh my I, gosh. Emotionally exhausting. Yeah. Yeah. Like I can't talk about this all day. I can't think about this all day. And I think like it's good to have the conversations, but 
boundaries obviously always set those boundaries where you're like yeah. eh, I mean like we will see things on Instagram and I'm like okay I need I need a break like I'll yeah. delete it for a few days or I'll delete it for some hours but like I need a break from this because it is very overwhelming and and yeah. these are things that I find emotionally are not always conducive to my health and are a little toxic sometimes Oh yeah. I don't watch the news. It, it's not. Yeah, neither do so, I. Like I didn't even know the whole George Floyd thing until like days later where it like popped yes. up on Instagram. I swear to God. And when I couldn't watch that whole video, but I was like, this is why I don't watch the news. Like yeah. it just blew my mind that a man can do that while knowing he's being videotaped like that. It, it just. Christina, I don't know no if you order. know this, the, the, the two were coworkers at a nightclub together. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's fucking wild. They don't even yeah. talk about that a lot, but th that's that's this same straight up here, murder. Though, I and didn't only at second degree. Like straight up yeah, murder. Yeah, wild. I didn't know these things either. Um until I'm not even exaggerating. I still didn't go on Instagram. Taylor's like, Oh, this thing happened to George Floyd. I'm like, not to be insensitive, but I'm very like straight to the point about this, but uh, this is nothing new like you're talking about one person that, saying that they couldn't breathe i'm like that happened like four years ago and that yeah. happens all the time we just don't see it so i'm like okay what's different about this time so i kind of just like brushed it off i obviously absorb those emotions a lot sometimes so i have still not watched the entire video i haven't watched yeah. any part of the video actually like yeah. the, I, I just i only see the still pictures yeah, yeah. I, I haven't watched any of it that's because and we were watching the Dave Ch Chappelle special um, a few nights ago, but he said that he didn't watch it for some time too, because all he can do is picture himself as that person. Yeah. And I think like as a black person, it's very easy for you to like interchange yourself with that person. And you just feel this rage and this anger. And that's not something that I'm okay with feeling right now. I'm trying to go through this emotional detox and recognize that like the rage that, that does exist. I want to fully, embrace it and process it but i don't want to be angry i don't want i want to find solutions from my anger but i don't yeah. want to be angry yeah you have to protect your energy and, and i remember i was watching this thing one time and it was um focused on a, a black man and he's like it's just always in your head that i have to walk a certain distance apart from someone i have to like always make myself you know appear non-threatening mm -hmm. and to go through life like that 24 7 that changes it, it, you. Yes, it changes you. I think that's something okay. that we don't understand. No, we can't not understand. at all. Not and at not all. just you. I think that's what we keep going back to. Not just you, but that changes the way you teach your children. That changes exactly. their children. Yeah. And it's like, we have to realize that this is generational. We need to talk about our ancestors. We need to address like that that was wrong. It's not that, yeah, it's, it's people are men of the time. That's just like we're noticing that we all are people of the time but i think we need to address that like yeah george washington was wrong for owning slaves no matter if it was of the time or not we need to address that yes. <laughs> like all of these historical figures that we taught were conquerors and great men they were wrong in a lot of the things that they did because they hurt other people and i yes. think that doesn't matter it doesn't matter if it's uh, 500 years ago uh, 500 th doesn't matter the time period we need to continue to address no these things were wrong and that's why we're moving forward like yeah. be and we even talked about that when we talked about um 
like gay rights and transgender rights and and taylor said that that that's something that's really important to you so we'd like to kind of get your view on what's happening now with um how did you feel knowing that president trump had taken out a portion of that uh bill instead that transgenders can be discriminated against uh, it's infuriating and this is the stuff that the, that we were talking about with the election i remember the morning after that election it was me marie jaime and brett and and um ali and i and we were all crying because it was the girl who had two lesbian mothers it was me the bisexual woman it was marie the lesbian it was jaime the gay man it was brett the gay man people of color and we were just looking around like this is gonna change everybody's life. Like it was like the most oppressed people in one room at once. Mm. And um, when I heard yesterday that uh, they passed a law that now you can't fire against um, homosexuality, like there was finally like that light that, that came back in. Um, because especially when we worked in the West Village, like I get that we were from New York, like we're, because there's some places where it's not okay to speak up to be homosexual. Mm -hmm. um, the places in the, whatever, the Midwest or Alabama, all these like backwards country, uh, countries, states, I'm sorry. Um, I think we're definitely taking a step back. I mean, these things that we fought so hard for, I mean, so many things being repealed, defunding of plants, parenthood, uh, like that alone, you wanna practice safe sex you want to educate you want to stop teenage pregnancy you want to yada 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 people forget that planned parenthood is also for women with endometriosis who need birth control for hpv testing for you know um because i work with a very large um community of hiv positive people as well and if they just had the resources you know mm -hmm. you're taking away these resources this education um and essentially their rights i mean they wanted to take back Roe versus Wade. Like, like, are you kidding me? It's just, I fear for this country. I, I really do. It, it's, I try not to get so down. I, once again, I want to believe that positive change is going to happen, but I think it's very, I think it's one of the most difficult things to be homosexual in this country. It's people like to act like they're open-minded, but they're really not. Mm -hmm. Like that's another thing that plays into it. My father was severely homosexual. It's, it's once again, this conditioning and um, once again, the thing that's gonna change it is speak about it. Let's get uncomfortable. Like, let's talk about the real issue at hand. Um, let's vote this motherfucker out. I'm sorry, it's my first F word. Like, and that's- Oh, you're no things. stranger to the F word, my friend. Yeah, like you gotta make a change. Like voting, register to fucking vote. Like we have a chance right now to make an yeah. impact, you know, to turn this around again. I mean, I don't know. I, I really don't know what to say on that. that. It's another issue that just like, it hurts my core. It really does. Well, that's why I wanted to talk to you because you are such a avid person in the like LGBTQT movements yeah. and, and I don't know how to say it. I, I <laughs> Let's say it together. You can swear. We can swear, by the way, like fuck shit, cock, balls, yeah, yeah, whatever. Yeah. It's okay. But no, man, like that's why, because like, I know you would be a good person to talk about. And I think that like there was, I, I haven't followed too specifically, but I think there was a few days ago they ruled that the Supreme Court ruled that you you can't something where 
based on your, you have to be labeled male or female in order to get certain surgeries or discriminated yeah. or something. And then yesterday, do you, they they vetoed that or they made it okay? So what what exactly was happened? No, they vetoed that. They vetoed it. Okay. Yeah. Um, I also believe, uh, thank God for the Supreme Court. Thank God we have yeah. like people yeah. fighting for us in there. What was it? It was um, six verse three, right? Um, but yeah, that's another community that I work with. Huge transgender community. And, uh, you know, our hospital is very forward thinking. You know, like we have, which pronouns do you want to use? Which, mm. but once again, unfortunately, not everybody is like that, you yep. know. And uh, transgender, I feel like, are even more discriminated against than the homosexual community. Um, yeah, it's. What was the question? I'm sorry. No, 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 that's okay. You can just rant. No, it's okay. And, you know, I no, I don't even know what I asked you. Oh, I just wanted yeah. to know about, I like, like I, I'm seeing everybody, cel- people, you know, in that community are, are celebrating the last 24 yeah. hours. And I was just, con- I sort of looked into it a little bit. So I think. Yeah, because 26 states had the right to fire you if you were a homosexual. 26 what? states, yes. That's wild. So, so wild. That's, that's what they repealed. Like, now you're protected. You cannot okay. fire against your sexual orientation and to think like like america was supposed to be the most forward-thinking country like the most industrialized country like 26 states that's insanity wild yeah Yeah, it's insanity i'm not uh, gay but you know finger in the booty never hurt nobody so (laughs) (laughs) now you'll speak in my language which goes into the business that i'm opening (laughs) i want to hear about this so So what so what are you doing this is another thing too, that sexuality, there's a whole other stigma on that, especially yeah. when it comes to women. You know, you want the Madonna whore image, you know, you want the virgin and then the whore in the bedroom. Um, and I feel like sexuality isn't really based on a woman's pleasure. And a lot of women feel guilty for experiencing pleasure. And it's just crazy, like statistics, like 70% of women cannot identify their own anatomy. That is wild to me. Let's not forget, women have a clitoris. The the only function of this organ is pleasure. Like yeah. how, fucking lucky, how fucking lucky are we? But once again, like most women, they, they, they don't know how to please themselves. So me and my guy, um, we're always trying to, you know, move forward. Uh, we're going to open an adult toy business. But the vision is, Exciting. yeah, yeah. so we bought the domain name last night. But the vision is to make it, like at first it's to get up and running, but eventually make it very conscious and mindful to do workshops, to, you know, teach women that sex, and men as well, I'm sorry, um, that sexuality is okay and should be celebrated and shouldn't have shame attached to it. And, you know, once again, all these things that we're conditioned to believe. And uh, yeah, so that's a very exciting part that's uh, going to play into it. Butt play, here we come. <laughs> yeah, that would be nice. Taylor, open your mind a little bit, get some butt play in there. I mean, that was a joke, <laughs> but I'm not really into that shit, but yeah, that's okay. <laughs> and I think I think a lot of men aren't, and I, I've heard that the G-spot, you can correct me if I'm wrong, G-spot yeah, for men it's is in the booty. In the, it's in the, the booty. Prostate. Yeah. Oh, okay. And it's crazy. It's like, no, the, a lot of guys don't want to explore that. And like, for me... I would love to explore things that are going to get me the like the most pleasure. And um, yeah. yeah, it's just it's it's all of this conditioned thinking, right? Yeah. Like we think that like 
men don't do that. That's gay. <laughs> like yeah. all of these negative thoughts when it comes to that stuff. And it's like, no, you can explore and not be homosexual. You can explore yes. and, and just have fun. And believe me, most men are interested, but they're afraid to say it because yeah. it's gay. So when I got back on the horse, I have to say that's my specialty. It's called milking the prostate. <laughs> I mean, the man can be flaccid and come buckets. It's it's wild. And it's like the closest I feel that a man can experience like a woman's orgasm. It's visceral. Mm, like I've yeah. seen, you know, and that's another thing. Like it doesn't have to be gay. You're denying yeah. yourself so much pleasure for fear of what? Things that were drilled into your head. You know, be a man. You can't. You can't, you always have to be angry. You can't be mm. vulnerable, you know? And then uh, even like things like Tantra, which me and my man have explored, just the breathing together. Like it's like an orgasm can take you to another dimension. So it's like all these things that I feel like we need to talk about as well, you know? Like you guys deserve it. Yeah. <laughs> Their pleasure. Yeah. Yeah. That's all, that's new to me. I haven't, I mean, I haven't taken that step but that's okay. I don't think, I just don't think that like, I'm, I don't think women should be shamed for wanting to like fuck and be open about talking about fucking and things like that. Like, I, I think it's like, I think there's obviously the stigma like that women are loose moral or slutty if they sleep around with a lot of guys. But like, I know a lot of women who are very confident in themselves who just like to have sex and there's nothing. Yeah. Like there's nothing wrong with that. I don't, I think yeah. that we should be able to talk about this on here and like, who I don't fucking care if you're if, as long if you're respecting yourself and you're doing things safe you should be able to do whatever the fuck safe. you want. Yeah, um, exactly. Yeah, yeah, I I agree. I think it's it's kind of it's kind of messed up, but I mean, women have done have been doing such a a strong job of this over the last few years, especially where they um, have been trying to like own the terms that have degraded us for so long yeah. like slut and whore and all. yeah and it's like i think the number one thing is like recognize that these are ideals that were made years ago right like people yeah. who are saying if you have sex with more than one person like that was from years ago we can open our minds and, and transcend our, our thinkings a little bit and that's what we see when we talk about the gay rights movement like these are things that were forbidden years ago let's make progress from that we don't need to be in that stuck place that would suck oh, yeah. like we want to get away from that yeah, it wasn't only until I got sober that I was really able to own my bisexuality. I mean, I remember being 13 and being as attracted to women as I was to men. But the strict Catholicism, like you're going to burn in hell, homosexuality is bad. And a lot of people have that drilled into their heads. And, you know, what you're talking about is also bringing spirituality into that part. Like, you don't have to be this set way to be spiritual. Yeah. You could bring it into everything. You can say fuck cock, all this shit. You can bang a bunch of dudes and still be spiritual. Mm -hmm. Like, it doesn't have to be so black and white. Yeah. Yo, you should, like, if you do start this company, is mm -hmm. it so you're going to sell the, the stuff? We're going to sell the product okay. originally. And then, like, we want to get into a YouTube channel, do workshops, do, you know, like, like I said, the tantra, bring the spirituality into it, bring the filth into it, bring the kink into it. You could do um, a podcast about that yeah. shit. It's yeah, not, this doesn't well. like to start this. It's very inexpensive. Yeah. yeah. It just takes determination. So yeah. Like it's on my list, the podcast. <laughs> like, yeah. Fuck yeah. I'm really yeah. excited about this next chapter. And it just goes to show like 
it's never too late to start something new. So yeah, it's, yeah. Explore, yeah, explore your wants and needs. And I, I think it's really what we were talking about, fear. Fear holds people back from so many things, from so many things. Like, just do it. You fail, you learn from it. But you're never going to know unless you try, you know? That was a huge part with me for this podcast is I realized that like once you, the, the hardest part was when I start reaching out to all these people because the fear of like, they're going to say, no, they're going to laugh. It's like, yo, two things are going to happen. They're going to respond or they're not going to respond. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like that's the worst thing that's going to happen. And yeah. I think that like, yo, you're in your thirties. I'm in my, I'm in my late twenties. She's in her early twenties. You could start this at any age. My, yeah. her parents in her late forties or my parents in their sixties could start something like this today and yeah. have a successful 10, 20 year career with it. And if you work hard enough, you can find ways to make money off this shit. That's so right. Right. I think you're never too old for this shit. I do have a question for you. Um, yeah. I guess like stemming from like everything that you're currently doing, all of these programs, working extensively, starting a new um, journey with opening a, a company. Um, how important is planning to you, especially uh, through like struggling with addiction and conquering addiction? How important was planning then? And, and how did that kind of transform over the years? Yeah, exactly. Like there was no structure when I was using whatsoever. Like when I, I went to a halfway house for a year, I had to learn how to have three meals a day, how to wake up and make my bed, how to, you know, be punctual, like learn how to be an adult essentially. And like you said, I have so much going on. Um, it's crazy sometimes. And for someone in recovery, that could also be a distraction. So I have to make sure. And even with my partner, I tell him, listen, sometimes I, like, I just need a day. I need a day for me for self care to recharge because, and you know, love, especially as an empath, you take on everybody's feelings. Mm -hmm. So it's like all this energy. Sometimes like I just, I go in the house, I draw the shades. I can't be bothered because I need to recharge. And, um, like I said, addictively, so I have calendars, everything mm -hmm. scheduled. I have to schedule cause I'm in school too, as well. I'm going to my wow. school. I'm in, yeah, wow. like after I get off with you, I have to do schoolwork. Oh, so you do it all. What are you What are you going to school for? I want to go all the way. I want to end up being an NP Yay. and hopefully open my own Fuck practice yeah, one day. Yeah, what so is that? Yo, you guys can link nurse up. Practitioner, nurse practitioner. Okay. Yeah, oh, so wow. my days have to be very structured, very yeah. structured. You know, and especially like I'm in that debting program now, so I picked up a lot of overtime. So I just it just has to be blocks, and yeah. uh, like it's doable. You, but like you guys were talking about, you just you have to work at it. It's like, I can't sit back and think everything's going to come to me. Like I have to work for it. But yeah, planning without planning. Oh, please. I'd be a mess girl. <laughs> Forget it. Yeah. I guess I never really thought about that. That's such a difficulty in my life too. structure. And yeah. like with like drinking a lot, it just goes out the fucking window. Yeah. When you're drinking, you're hungover and you're, and you're in that sort of mindset. I, I'll just sit around the house and do, I have no motivation and it's yep. so hard to get shit done and be effective. And that's what I talked about earlier is like, I don't know if I'm going to be able to make this podcast happen and make this hopefully career for myself happen if I'm drinking alcohol. Mm -hmm. And I, cause I, it's, it's a night and day difference when I'm sober and I'm doing this or when there's alcohol in my life and I'm doing this, it's so, it's like five times as difficult to get through this shit. And that's what we say in AA. It's not how much you drink because some yeah. people just binge on the weekends or some people just drink some wine in the house. It's what, how does it make you feel? 
what is it what are the consequences in your life because a lot of people think like to be an alcoholic you got to be the bum on the the bench no it's not like that you know in our textbook in the in the big book it has yeah. all the different stories so hopefully people can identify with it but it's yeah how does it affect your life yeah like we had this girl Sally Meehan on who she doesn't drink anymore but she just she wasn't an alcoholic. She just decided yeah. to give it up. You don't have yeah. to be an alcoholic to not drink. No, yeah. at you know? all. It's the hard drinker that when yeah. faced with certain consequences can leave it, can put it down. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, man. I appreciate you coming on. And I'm I'm super happy for you and proud that you're going back to school and everything like that. You look like you sound well, you look good. Yeah. You know, this is awesome doing this. This is gonna be a really fucking great podcast. And oh, I do have one more question. When it yeah. comes to COVID right now, I know things are getting are opening up and people are becoming a little loosey goosey. Yeah. And I don't know uh, I am not wearing a mask when I walk the dogs and when I go for hikes in the woods. Would you suggest, um, like moving forward, wearing a mask and doing things like that? Is it worth it? Is honestly, if if you're in the woods, I would say carry one on you just in case, because what it really is, is when you're in that six foot space, you know what, if you're out in nature in the middle of East Bumblefuck, like you're fine, you can do without it. It's really just being mindful of the people around you, you know, because especially that you guys were positive, you know, you can pass it on to someone else who might not recover. You know, so yeah, but like if you're on the street or in like a park where there's a lot of foot um, traffic, I would say, yeah, wear the mask. Okay. And then uh, another question as a science teacher, I know that, you know, once you come in contact with the vaccine, your body will build up these antibodies that are automatically able to attack and um, kind of destroy the virus. With this, is there enough information out already to let us know if I've already had it? Will my body respond the same way that it does to any other virus it comes in contact yeah. with? Well, there, as far as I know, we don't even have a set of vaccine yet. That's a big thing. Um, it's something like, say it's like a flu shot. You get a flu shot, but you could still get a flu because there's different strains. That's why they're saying like, when you have the immunity right now, we don't even know if that's long-term immunity because the virus mutates. Like yeah. in the beginning, it was a respiratory thing. Now it's vascular. People are coming in with pulmonary embolisms, kids. It looks like Kawasaki disease, but it's all blood clots. So it's like, we don't even have a set mm. vaccine and we don't, we still don't know about it. Like you, I ask the doctors that I work with all the time and they still say, I have no, you know, it, it, it's scary. That's why we just really need to protect ourselves until we know. It's good. Good to know. Cause <laughs> I definitely am one of those people who I'm like, ah, anyone i don't need to wear a mask so you've definitely informed me a little bit no all right all right guys yo thank you again yeah i'm gonna log off because i really do have school work to do shit bro (laughs) i'll let you know when this comes out in the next two days all right cool love you guys thank you thank you all right baby bye